0: Hyperbole. Hyperbole is the nothing personal word of the day, Dade County. Hyperbole. Cut. We're doing something new today. We're on a different recording, so I could cut and start over, but I'm not. It's hyperbole is the nothing personal word of the day. Sorry, Coca. Why am I saying hyperbole? Because I had a morning. just going to tell you about my morning. Each week... For many, Take a break when I got in trouble, but for many, many years, I've been going on the Dan Levitard show and having conversations and reviewing movies and doing funny stuff with that group of funny people. And recently, I've been doing the local hour with Mike Ryan. I think he's Mike Ryan Ruiz. Maybe he's just Mike Ryan, or I think it is Mike Ryan Ruiz, but he goes by Mike Ryan. Not sure why. I just call him Mike. So we did a whole show today, a full local hour. And it was about, in what his view, is the worst trade in the history of Major League Baseball. And his view is that when we traded, and I was a part of it, Miguel Cabrera, the MVP Miguel Cabrera, the first ballot Hall of Famer Miguel Cabrera, the World Series champion with the Florida Marlins in 2003 as a first-year player, Miguel Cabrera. The triple crown winner for the Detroit Tigers who never won another World Series, Miguel Cabrera. The most overpaid player currently in Major League Baseball tied with Albert Pujols. Hmm. I wonder what the string is that combines and connects those two guys. Anyway, that Miguel Cabrera. Yes, in 2007, Coke, I can't remember the year because I blocked it out. I think it's 07. I was part of a trade that orchestrated moving Miguel Cabrera to the Detroit Tigers for two of the top 10 prospects in all of Major League Baseball. Not in the Tigers organization, but in all of Major League Baseball. If you want to go back and, and listen to that, I encourage you to download it, listen to it, tell your friends about nothing personal, but then you can download the local hour of Levitard and Friends. But it got me thinking, what I'm I am willing as part of this show, and you know I do this with with you, the listener, the audience, if you're watching on YouTube through CBS, thank you. If you're listening through Apple or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast, thank you. We appreciate it. You know that. And part of what we do is we own up to all the things that we do wrong. We have corrections. We do wait to seize when they're right, when they're right, when they're wrong, they're wrong, but we always go back and revisit them. And part of the show's attraction in my mind and the feedback that I get is that when I do something, whether any time in my career, from elementary school through my career on Wall Street, through baseball, through after baseball, I'm going to own it. And I want to talk to you about it because, of course, I make mistakes. Of course, my thought process is not always correct. But the key is there's always a thought process and there's no decision that I ever made in baseball, that at the time I made it, I was aware would be your worst decision, my worst decision. It's very rare when you're going through the greatest day of your life that you can recognize it as the greatest day of your life. That comes in hindsight. That comes from comparisons. It's very rare to know when you're going through the worst day in your life. I've had plenty of days and I've said to plenty of people, I hope this is the worst day of your life. And every time I say that to someone, I know I'm going to be wrong because it's impossible that a day that someone's going through, and as badly as they feel, whatever tragedy they've endured, it's very difficult to say that that will be the worst day of their life. They may look back on the last day of their life and say that was, but you just don't know. When you have to do a baseball trade, Or when you have to make a business decision, no matter what your business is, we've talked about what's going on with the pandemic, we've talked about, and I got a lot of blowback from the segment yesterday, Coca, we didn't even talk about this in our pregame, a lot of blowback on having any sort of love or understanding of what the Lakers did when they took the $4.6 million loan, a lot of blowback, but I'd given my reason and I still believe in that reason. When you are running a business or making a trade, whenever you're doing something, you have to make a decision right then and there in real time, given the factors that you know. The most successful people are able to see the most factors at the current time, the most future factors. The equivalent, and I've said this on Nothing Personal, is when you drop a little stone in a lake or a pond, it creates ripples. And one of the things I learned in law school and one of the talents that I'd like to think I have or a skill that I try to own and improve all the time, and that's H-O-N-E, not O-W-N, is trying to forecast what the ripples will be of every decision that I've ever made. But the thing is, when you're thinking about the ripples, you have to do it today. In the media, what we do is we talk about yesterday. We talk about what did happen and tell you why it worked or didn't work. We'll second guess everyone, Monday morning quarterback, that's what it is. We'll second guess everyone and then we'll sit and I'll, I keep saying we, let's be personal for a minute. I, I'll sit on my high horse and I'll criticize what this person is doing, what that person is doing. Mostly I want to explain to you what that person was thinking or doing at the time that person made the decision because I've been in the chair. I've seen what it is to make a decision in a baseball context, in a sports context, in a business context. I've seen what it is to make a decision in real time and then wake up and realize that you actually made the wrong decision. And the question is, relax, Wilson. The question is, how do you know? So Miguel Cabrera was traded for two of the top 10 prospects in all of baseball. There was no choice but to financially, we had no other financial choice but to trade Miguel Cabrera. No choice. Did we want it to be so lopsided? Did we think that Andrew Miller would never be a starter and would end up as one of the great bullpen arms of this last 10 years, I'd say? Did we think that Cameron Mabin would still be a big leaguer in 2019 and signed to a minor league deal in 2020, 13 years later? Yeah, but we thought he'd be a Hall of Famer. He had seven of the five tools. We got a bunch of other players, whether it was Dallas Traherne or Burke Badenhop or Mike Rebello or a pitcher named Della Cruz. doesn't matter. None of them turned out to be close to Miguel Cabrera, but we knew that going in. You can't trade Miguel Cabrera and get back Miguel Cabrera. The hope is you get back a prospect or two who can become his own man and a great player in his own terms. But is that the worst trade ever? So I went back and I did a little research, I did some thinking, and I want to remind some people of a few trades. Now, when I tell you that the Expos traded Delino De Shields to the Los Angeles Dodgers for Pedro Martinez, did the Dodgers think Pedro Martinez would turn into what he turned into? No. He was sort of like a middle reliever. But that's a terrible trade. Pedro Martinez is, one, is a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest pitchers of all time. The Expos then traded Pedro Martinez to the Red Sox for a pitcher who helped us win a World Series named Carl Pavano. Was that a good trade for the Expos when they traded Pedro to the Red Sox? No. As good as Pavano was, it's not even close. What about you Braves fans out there? I hear from a lot of you all the time. I went back and I tried to think, how did the Braves get those pitchers who would always beat us? And I was reminded that John Smoltz was received in a trade by those very same Detroit Tigers. The Tigers traded John Smoltz to the Braves for Doyle Alexander, a serviceable major leaguer. John, Solz, John Smoltz became one of the great starters and relievers ever. Hall of Famer. I got a whole list. I got a list. Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer, world champion, ace extraordinaire, certain Hall of Famer. You think Arizona wanted to trade him to the tires for Edwin Jackson and Ian Kennedy? I could go on. The list could go on for the entire show. Every team has a trade. Every president has a trade. Every GM, every manager, every owner has at least a trade. But most likely it takes up... The second hand in terms of fingers, I'm holding up multiple fingers on my hands for those of you listening. That's how many trades we regret. If you're going to be in the game 18 years, you're going to have regrets. So Mike Ryan, my message to you, and we'll talk about it again next week. Enough for the hyperbole. It was a bad trade. I miss Miguel. God, but I'm lucky to have had him when we did. Okay, uh, next We're going to talk about something that's happening in Major League Baseball. But to introduce this, this is a new thing. It just came out. There's going to be three divisions in baseball. No American League, no National League. It's going to be geographic, geographic, geographical regions of divisions. And here is the new Major League Baseball theme song. Get ready. Anybody? Coca, you're not, you're not talking to me, which means you have no idea what that is. Bolero, the theme song. I guess it's not a theme song very much. It's just a perfect musical piece from a perfect movie that starred a perfect 10. Yes, that, that is the theme song the Major League Baseball is going to use for its new plan to have three divisions of 10 teams. I want to review the divisions with you. I want to talk about the new baseball plan. And I want to make sure that you understand where my head is. I am not a Debbie Downer. I'm not a negative Nellie. I am a pragmatist. When I hear about a plan or hear about a conversation or hear about a business venture or hear about a thought, I want to give you exactly what the probability is of that taking place. When you run a sports league, you have the ability to toy with people's emotions. And especially now with no live sports, with no sports of any kind, with the economy in the crappa, with people scared to go outside, agoraphobia at an all-time high. Someone actually said to me that they have gotten during this quarantine arachnophobia. And I laughed. I said, you mean agoraphobia? And he said, no, I'm actually now scared of spiders. And I said, touche, your Google's faster than mine. Three divisions of 10, the MLB leaked. Wait, was it someone in the meeting? Nah, we've covered leaks, you know. There was no name behind it. But sources have told the USA Today that Major League Baseball is looking at a mid-June to early July start. Anywhere from 80 to 120 games. At teams' home parks. 10 teams per division. Intra division the entire season. Here are the divisions. Get ready if you're in the Eastern Division Yankees, Mets, Red Sox, Nationals, Orioles, Phillies, Pirates Blue Jays, Rays Marlins. Let's talk about the East Division. Yankees and Mets in the same division. That's a dream come true. You don't have to wait for Interleague Baseball. You get an opportunity, it makes perfect sense. When you talk about realignment, which we did in the competition committee and we've talked a little bit about here, we wanted to do radical realignment that would only be able to come with expansion to 32 teams in two 16-team leagues, American and National League. And you want certain teams to play against each other more because you want the opportunity to decrease travel, decrease wear and tear on the body. Do you think that the Lakers, when they play the Clippers, they consider that a road game having nothing to do with the audience, having nothing to do with the booze or the cheers? A road game is about getting on a plane. A road game is about the wear and tear of checking into a hotel, checking out of a hotel, putting in your credit card for incidentals, going to a smaller clubhouse. These are not major problems in the real world. I know. I know they travel by charter, first class. We know all those things. However, the wear and tear is obvious and definite and it shows up in injury. And injuries cost owners money. Because when you have to pay an injured player to sit on the disabled list, one of the worst days of any owners meeting, they would do this once a year. And it was, uh, everyone would sort of put their head in their hands. You're sitting in a room, there's a big board and a big screen. The commissioner comes up and he announces, yes, gentlemen, It's DL Day. DL Day is when they put on the board the billions of dollars lost each year in salaries paid to players who did not play because of injury. It's days lost and dollars lost to disabled players. Now we call them injured players. To players on the injured list. You just got to pay them. If you can do anything to change baseball as a president of a team, I would change guaranteed contracts to injured players. It may not be fair. It may not be practical. It may never happen. But imagine in your business, if you are forced to pay people who are doing nothing to help you achieve your revenue goals or your one loss goals, if you're a team revenue goals, if you're a business, they're doing nothing, but they're still getting paid as if they were doing what they were supposed to do to get paid in the first place. When you play New York against New York, that is nine, potentially, up to nine games that would normally be road games. That's three different cities, three different hotels, three different flights where these guys are in their own beds going to the different park in New York. Central Division, what you'd think, Cubs and White Sox, of course. Brewers, that's a bus ride. Cardinals, a bit of a longer bus ride. Kansas City Royals, Cincinnati Reds the Indians, the Twins, the Tigers, and the Braves? The Atlanta Braves are going to be in the Central Division? Reminds me of when the Braves were in the Western Division. Do you know the Braves were in the NL West from 1969 to 1993? The NL West. They're the Braves. Atlanta's in the East. It's really in the Southeast. So that's the Central Division. What about the West Division? Who are we missing? Ah, the Dodgers, and the Angels. How perfect would it be to have the Dodgers, Angels, Giants, and A's in one division? Add in the Padres, the Diamondbacks, and the Rockies. And then, of course, what do you do with Texas? Well, deep in the heart of Texas is deep in the heart of the West Division. The Houston Astros could be playing the Los Angeles Dodgers. Not in a World Series, but in a divisional matchup. This 310-team division setup is outstanding. It's perfect. It's a dream come true for fans, for players. It gets baseball back. What could be a problem? Huh. Well, we had Dr. Fauci come out yesterday, and he said, totally unrelated to sports, he said, I want everyone to know that all those who need tests will have access by late May or June. Interesting. All those who need tests. Well, what's the definition of need? Do you need a test if you want to play baseball? Or do you need a test if you're sick and then we have to figure out if you have it so then we can do contact tracing and isolating? I think someone who works in a meatpacking distribution center is someone who needs a test before a baseball player. I think someone who works distributing packages or in any sort of manufacturing plants. How about unloading groceries in your grocery store? Let me ask you this when you're grocery shopping or doing Instacart or getting your groceries delivered or whatever you're doing. Would you like the people delivering your groceries or stocking your shelves to get tested for COVID-19? Just curious. I think those people probably need tests. But Fauci said those who need tests will have access by late May or June. Baseball comes out, leaks a story to the USA Today. Hello. We're talking about a late May, early June return to baseball. Get three weeks of spring training and boom, we're on our way to a hundo game season. Need a test. But then Fauci gave an interview today, just today. And he said, I don't think that sports are ready to come back just yet. And of course, everyone is saying, "Well, we're definitely not talking about now. It's only April 23rd. What? Co- April 29th? Wow. It's April 29th. Sorry. So April 29th sports are not ready to come back. I grant you that, but does that mean they'll be ready in a month? Two weeks? The planning that's required to get? spring training up and going. You've got to get players back to Florida and Arizona. You've got to figure out testing. You've got to figure out living arrangements. As players, they are forced, and we do it with the front office, with managers and coaches. We help them get temporary housing in Florida for them to live through February and March. It's a two-month deal. Now are they going to stay in some hotel that's not even open? Are we going to kick out first responders and nurses or other people where the hotels are either shut down or not? Are we going to make sure there's testing for all the employees in all the hotels in spring training and then in the home cities? What is the political pressure that is being launched by either commissioners or by the president in order to get Sports back on because there's a belief that if sports is happening, all is going to be right in the world again because sports is meant to heal. I think we have it ass backward. I think that we need to hear first that there is a guarantee that the testing is exactly what we need it to be. Then we can come up with the 10-team division plan. But the reason baseball came out with this leak, it's pretty simple. They know that their maximum threshold of pain is around July 4th, because if you start July 4th, you play through October, you have a World Series and a neutral site, even expanded playoffs in neutral sites if the weather turns bad. And you can end the season somewhere around Thanksgiving. You can have an off-season, which has to start before the winter meetings. Those winter meetings are booked years in advance. You can't just change the location of the winter meetings. It's going to be impossible. Query, will there be a winter meetings in late 2020? I'm going to say no, but it's not yet a wait to see, but it's darn close. But you have a regular off-season. Try to get to a normal spring training sometime in February. Baseball players need time off. It's not like the NBA where I could argue that the players play 12 months a year. If they had a month off, they'd be baseballs different. The bodies and the arms have to heal in a way that other sports don't require. So baseball knows that July 4th is sort of their outside date. This is called what someone once taught me for 300 bucks an hour, magical thinking. Magical thinking is when you think something's true and that thing has to happen in order for something else to happen that you want to happen. So you say, but for this first thing happening, the second thing never will happen. And I really badly need the second thing to happen or else I can't even do baby steps to the door. That's a Richard Dreyfus Bill Murray reference. What about Bob? But magical thinking in this case isn't going to be so magical. Because you can't say July 4th is your deadline, and then you work backwards and say you need three weeks of spring training. Therefore, we have to really make sure that we are in the sites no later than the first or second week of, July of, of June at the latest. That's five weeks away. And I agree, a lot's changed in the last five weeks, but I also know what we've learned. And what we've learned is that any sort of return and lack of following guidelines has a chance to backfire. We didn't even talk about the fact that there are no fans. This will be played in front of no fans, confirmed. Maybe later on in the season, there's conversations about having a couple thousand fans. A dribble and a dribble. Dribble and a drabble? A drip and a droop? A drop and a bop? A hop and a hope? I think it's more magical thinking. It is unlikely that MLB will have fans at any time during the season, which is why we talked about the fights that are going to happen between owners and owners and owners and players before any sort of plan can come into play. But what better way if you are the commissioner, and we would do this all the time, what is the way to get the maximum leverage on the union? What can we do? You know what you do? You put out a plan that you don't know whether it can work. And then all of a sudden, the pressure goes on the players because they'd have to be the ones to say no and disappoint the millions of fans. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore dealmaking across sports, media, and entertainment. So speaking of disappointing the millions of fans, so you want to talk to Samson. I was asked, uh, I've had a lot of questions about this because of the pandemic and because of money. There's been a lot of questions about this. Can you revisit the ticket refund issue? This is the most important issue facing sports fans and Major League Baseball made a decision yesterday. Do we get our money back? Question mark. I want to tell you what Major League Baseball did yesterday, and I want to point out why they did what they did, and I want to give you the bad news. Major League Baseball made an announcement that got a lot of press, and it's getting into the show. It's part of the segment because you asked. You got into my Twitter at David P. Sampson, and you said, answer me. I will. Major League Baseball did not say you're going to get your money back. Major League Baseball did not argue and mandate for teams to give you your money back. Major League Baseball did what we told you they would do. They acted as a Republican president or Republican administration or Republican Senate or Republican House. They gave the power to the states. The states are the teams. All Major League Baseball did is they said that each team can make its own decision about its own refund policy. They did not make a blanket ruling. They did not pass a rule that said, we are now offering refunds to all people who bought single game or season tickets or group tickets to a game that has not been officially canceled, but has definitely been postponed. They did not make a rule that said teams have got to start canceling games, not postponing them. They simply did what you do when you want to kick the can. They kicked the can down the road to teams and teams are now going to make individual announcements. So you, as a listener, it's nothing personal. You actually have no choice but to call your team's office and say, hey, I want my money back. And then if you get the wrong answer, ask to speak to a supervisor. If you get the wrong answer, ask to speak to the VP of sales. If you get the wrong answer, ask to speak to the chief operating officer. If you get the wrong answer, Ask to speak to the president. If you get the wrong answer, ask to speak to the owner. It's likely your best chance. Most teams are going to say that they're going to do credits to 2021. Most teams are going to try to keep their money because that's their cash flow. Some teams will. And if there is an avalanche of teams who start or even a pebble of a stone of one team who says, hey, everyone gets a refund cash back right now, your account's being credited Maybe a second, third team. The best hope you have is herd mentality because in baseball, there's a lot of it. I never operated with herd mentality, didn't want to do it, couldn't afford to do it. If we had no access to cash, we'd have no choice but to keep yours and use it to operate the business and to pay our obligations and our debt service, interest on our loans, all the other things. So you're right. Major League Baseball did make a decision yesterday. Unfortunately, it was a decision not to make. A decision. Another group got together though and made a decision. Pretty big news this morning. The NCAA Board of Governors. Do you know who they are? They're a bunch of people. They sit in a room on Zoom. By the way, are you hearing me? In here? Coca, how is the video and audio now? Because we're doing this new system that you somehow invented by going on the Intergool. Is it better? Yes? All right, I hear you. That's pretty good. So I think there's a chance, you know, if you've been watching this, that there's a split screen of the nothing personal logo and then me on the other half. Now that's not really branding, although it's pretty cool. Ideally, the picture would be bigger for you. So there's a chance with this new, we won't know till we post this show. There's a chance that you're going to get the full home quarantine studio of Vec Wilson, not just the half. That's a way to see that doesn't make the way to see because it's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. So the NCAA Board of Governors got together, and they said, hey, we have a plan, and the plan we have is that we are going to approve a set of guidelines so that college players can now benefit and profit and get paid for their name, image, and likeness. They came up with new rules for name, image, and likeness. What is name, image, and likeness? You've heard about it. It's a huge thing, right? College athletes don't get paid. We know that because they're students. And we know that nobody's making money off them. (laughs) Yeah, nobody. Nobody except the school, the conference, the coaches. Well, that money actually goes to all the other sports. And you saw that Cincinnati canceled their soccer team. We talked about that because of a lack of revenue. So there's a lot of revenue that comes and people go crazy. Please pay the college athletes. They deserve it. They're making so much money. Okay. So the NCAA Board of Governors said, we have a plan. But they didn't really start with this plan. As you recall, in California, there was a law passed in the, before the pandemic. was called the Fair Pay-to-Play Law. The Fair Pay-to-Play allowed players, college players, to benefit off their name, image, and likeness. That means that I can go to someone and I can say, hey, give me a dollar. Pay me and I'll say that I like your shampoo. Give me a hundred bucks and I'll Instagram to my 906,000 followers. By the way, that's a former player talking. I can't remember. Coca, who's the guy who the guy who went to the G League has the $906,000, that high school, 906,000 followers, that high school basketball player. I can't remember his name. In any case, yeah, if you'd go to your Instagram followers and say that you like shopping at Target, we'll give you 10 grand. And if you put a code in your Instagram saying buy from me and people go online and buy from Target saying buy from me, we'll give you 10 cents for every $100 that's spent. Well, this sounds like a great plan. And so players were all excited. Student athletes were all excited. They can now sell their name, image, and likeness. So the NCAA got together and said, well, we can't just have California doing it. We did a whole nothing personal topic on why California can't do it alone because players will want to go to California schools over schools and places where they can't profit off their name, image, and likeness. So the NCAA said we better get on top of this. We better make our own set of rules. We better standardize them. We better get all the divisions to make rulings so we can have a clear and precise definition of the rules. So here's the first rule. Number one. Advertisements are allowed. Endorsements are allowed by college athletes now. But no school branding or logos may be used in those endorsements and advertisements. Heaven forbid. Is that strange? No. Have you ever watched an ad with your favorite baseball player and they're wearing a uniform that looks super like the uniform that they wear for the team they play for, but if you look at the hat, it's a blank hat with no logo. Their uniform actually doesn't have their logo name. Have you ever seen a player do a commercial without the Yankee logo on the hat or jersey or the Marlin logo or the Indian logo or the Braves logo, but the players endorsing after Shave lotion. Players paid for that. Do you know why the uniform is not associated with that advertisement? Because the company who's making the ad is not paying the team. We're the Marlins. When I was there, we would have players come up to us and they'd say, "Hey, we want to do an ad for Ford. They want me in uniform." And our answer was, "Great, no problem. That'll be thirty thousand dollars." And the player would say, "What?" No. And then they'd go back to the advertising agency. They'd go to their agent and say, hey, if they want me to wear a Marlins jersey with my logo, with the logo of the Marlins, my trademark, then we're going to have to pay. And Ford would say, sometimes we'll pay because it looks more real. Sometimes they'd say, nah, we just want you to do the ad. We won't give money to the Marlins. So this is a rule that has existed in professional sports forever. Athletes make commercials all the time without using the marks of their team because they don't want to give their team any money. The only time that they will wear their team uni is if the money that the team gets does not come out of the pocket of the player doing the ad. So this is not a big deal, this rule. This is normal. Why would Duke allow its players to make commercials that have a Blue Devil logo on it if Duke's not getting paid? Two, schools individually cannot pay the players, no matter what. Schools can't use endorsements as a recruiting tool. Schools can't use endorsements as any incentive to go to the school. Boosters of schools are not allowed to contact a recruit and say, if you come to Duke I own the car agency, there will be a brand new car in your dorm room. Like the price is right, not allowed. Let's talk about that for a minute. Do you think there is one chance that boosters and recruiters are not going to use money to get high school recruits to go to their schools? It is going to be an absolute SS, a shite show. Yes, it will. If you want to get the best players, you're going to have to give the most money. If you're an agent representing a player because now these high school players can have agents in order to do these endorsement and NIL deals, name, image, likeness, you don't think that they're looking for the most money? Oh, you're right. They're looking for the best education. They're going to the best school. They're looking for an Ivy League school or a great state school. Of course. Sorry, my bad. Oh, they're only going for a year. I guess that's 25% of the best education. I wonder if that's enough. I told you I don't begrudge high school players going straight to the pros. I don't begrudge them going to the G League. I don't begrudge them going into an NFL developmental league if that would ever start. I don't think that professional players, athletes who want to be professionals need to go to college. If they can start earning money from professional organizations, start. I never felt guilty have, drafting high school players to play minor league baseball and paying them 400 bucks a week. No, they have a job. If they wanted to go to college, they could go to college. They can make their own decision. If they want to make money and they want to start working, start working. Many many people don't have an opportunity to go to college because they have to start earning a living for their family. And sports, if you're good enough, can provide a better living than many other vocations. So what exactly is the problem? The problem is that now it becomes a game of dollars and no sense. It will be the wild, wild west because the NCAA will have no ability to prove. They will have to do investigations every day. They'll have to have a department of investigations. They'll have to hire 500 people, which in this economy may be a great move. Hire 500 people to investigate every division one, division two, and division three school in the country. They'll have to look into where every single recruit goes. You know, that big day we have it. We do it on CBS Sports HQ. It's a huge thing. It's, um, Oh, coca Uh, signing day when, when players decide who they're going to sign with and we cover it because it's down to Ohio state, Penn state, Nebraska, Alabama, LSU and Clemson. And I am taking my talents to hold on. I'm sorry. One second. Excuse me, please. Hello? Yes. No, I'm about to, I'm about to agree to go to Nebraska. I can do that. You're going to, my mother and father can have a house and a car. All I have to do is say that I love Atlanta. That's it. But I don't even know where your school is. Okay. One second. Yeah. Can you confirm that? I'm going to have my agent call you right now. All right. Thank you. I have decided, ladies and gentlemen, that I'm going to the University of Georgia. That's how it's going to go down. Don't kid yourself. Okay. Sunday was my uh, double feature. Sunday I watched the second to last and last episode of Homeland. And then I watched episode three and four of Last Dance. I reviewed Last Dance. Now I got to review Homeland. The final season, season eight is now complete. It's not just the final season. Yeah, it is. It was season eight, the final final. Sunday night was the series finale. Homeland is a is a series that I started watching late in the game. I didn't watch them win any of their awards. I never got sick of Claire Danes crying and quivering, her lower lip quivering. I did it in a binge situation where I watched the first seven seasons, then waited like a year for season eight to come out. I think it was even longer if I'd watched season seven live, which I hadn't. This is on Showtime, by the way. Yes, that's a CBS owned network, Viacom CBS. Indeed, I'm tapping my Viacom CBS sticker right now just in case there was a sort of misunderstanding and a lack of appreciation by me doing the Levitard show. I should say that by ComCBS. Love you guys. Thank you. And coca sends is best too. Coca, uncurl your toes and uncross your fingers, would you? I did. Look, separated fingers and mostly my toes. Homeland is a series that is about uh, – it started – it's really about the wars, wars in Afghanistan. They, they filmed all over the uh, uh, world, three continents, I believe. It starred uh, Inigo Montoya as uh, – he became the national security advisor, and he was the head of the CIA for a while. Inigo Montoya, you kill my father. Prepare to die. My name is Inigo Montoya. You know that. That's the Princess Bride. Coca, you're asleep at the switch. He had no idea – Coca is so asleep that he's just writing Jalen Green. That was 20 minutes ago, Coca. Jalen Green must be the recruit who went, to the N- who went to the G League instead of going to school. That's the way to go. Of course, Koka is now whispering, that's when I told you, Jalen Green, but I didn't hear you, which means it doesn't count. Anyway, it stars Max Pan- M- Mandy Patinkin, Claire Danes. Why do I love Homeland and why should you watch it? It's a series about understanding the definition of patriotism. And in this day and age, when there is such a question about what it means to be a patriot, what it means to double-cross your country or to fight for your country, whether you are in the armed forces or not, whether you're in the military or not, what it means that you can do on a daily basis to make this world, this country better, what it means to not just worry about your own country, but worry about the world at large, What an interesting topic. And this was filmed prior to the pandemic, prior to coronavirus. But one of the great themes of this entire season eight was what would you do and how far would you go to protect someone who no matter what would protect you? And that goes for a person or a company or a country. The series finale was one of the best series finales I've ever seen. It's episode 12 of season eight. It leaves you with the ability that there could be more. Maybe there's not. It gives you a feeling of sadness yet hope. It doesn't break your heart, but it makes you smile. It's an example of a series done perfectly. Homeland final season. If you've never watched it, start at the beginning. If you have watched it and you're behind, get to it. Thank you, Claire Danes. By the way, I found out that her husband played one of the sort of bad guys who was just pro-war in the White House in season eight, wanted to go to war no matter what with Pakistan. I had no idea. I thought he had like a fake ML beard challenge. He's a guy who had a beard. I figured it was fake. Uh, His name is, I don't know. It could be Hugh Dancy, but I think that's wrong. But in any case, he had this strange beard, and then I found out it was Claire Danes' husband. And frankly, there's nothing more relevant than that last 30 seconds. Today's day 45, cult 45. Never had a cult 45. Today's day 45 of the ML beard challenge. ML beard challenge. We're given thousand dollars a day every day for a hundred days. We are 45 days into it. We're not stopping till the MLB season opens. After a hundred days, that's it for the donations. However, the beard will continue until opening day, whenever that is day 45. Guess what? Guess the team I would never believe they'd be so late in the process of these different standings in the NBA, but there you go. Toronto. Toronto. What gift could I give to Toronto? I guess maybe Mark Burley or Jose Reyes. That'd be a good gift. Or John Buck. Josh Johnson with Tommy John. That's not a bad gift. Huh. What else could we do with $1,000 in Toronto? I'll take suggestions on DM Apparently, you can DM on Instagram at David P. Sampson or on Twitter. I'm going to find a charity. It may go through the Toronto Raptors. That's the organization. Could go through the Blue Jays. We've done a thousand to the Blue Jays. What I like most about Toronto uh, is as a road city, when we would go to Toronto, it was one of the most cosmopolitan road cities that exist. Second only, the favorite road city you've heard me say is Montreal, bar none before Montreal moved to Washington. That was a home city for me for two years. Lived there two and a half years. Loved going back on the road, but that is the greatest road city ever. Toronto is right there in the top five. If you've never been, it's worth going except the border's closed. Day 45, ML Beer Challenge. Okay. Wait to see. Two wait to sees here. First, I want to say that we missed one. Coke and I were asleep at the switch. Wait to see is when we'll tell you something that's going to happen or not going to happen. And if it does happen or doesn't happen, we'll revisit it. We said the Bengals would not trade the number one pick. That was a separate wait to see regarding the draft. We did a wait to see that there'd be no trades in the top five, but we had our own way to see that the Bengals would not trade the number one pick. And they didn't. They took Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was taken with the number one pick. We win. What about Jameis Winston? Who's that? That's someone who was the number one pick by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2015. That's five years ago. Guess where he is now? He is now a backup quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. Jameis Winston signed a one-year deal to back up Drew Brees and to split the backup duties with Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill is that guy who he runs the ball, he catches the ball, he throws the ball. He does a little bit of everything. He backs up Drew Brees. If Drew Brees gets hurt, I think they go to Taysom Hill, not to Winston. Winston, little known fact about Winston, or if you read about him, you'd know this. He threw for over 5,000 yards last year for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Had over 30 touchdowns. And in an NFL record, had over 30 interceptions. Unheard of. 30-30. That's the worst 30-30 club ever. That's like you being stuck with Jose Canseco in a 30-30 club for the rest of your life you better bring some dollar bills. Well, my way to see on Winston is the following. He's not going to throw a touchdown pass or an interception. Neither. He will not have a TD or an INT in the 2020 season. I've got many ways to win this way to see, and you know that I've got a few double entendres going there. No TD, no INT. Number two, we're doing a double today. It's too good. I read this morning as we were before we were starting to film that our old friend Manny Ramirez wants to play baseball again. Manny Ramirez is 47 years old and he wants to go be a professional player in Taiwan. This is the Manny Ramirez, one of the greatest right handed hitters of all time. The MVP of the 2004 World Series champion Boston Red Sox, who brought the Red Sox their first title since it must have been the teens. Manny Ramirez tested positive for drugs. He was a steroid guy, a testosterone guy, broke the rules nonstop. He got caught a second time in 2011 when he was with the Rays. And instead of serving his suspension, he said, no mas, fini, je suis fini, j'ai fini. It's more like j'ai fini. I have finished. Well, Manny Ramirez now says, I'm only happy when I'm in the batter's box. Interesting. I guess he's the guy who needs to get the uniform ripped off him, but it has been. Manny Ramirez, you have zero chance to play any professional games for any professional league anywhere in the world ever. You are done. It's a bonus wait to see, Manny. You had a great career. Why am I telling you this? Because I've run a team. And Manny, it's just business. It's nothing personal.